Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, it is uh, a real privilege and really exciting to come back and preach here this morning. It's so exciting to me. I've been really looking forward to this. Um, as, um, as John said, um, yeah, I've, I was blessed to be part of the journey of, of leading Hills uh, for about 10 years. And uh, that, that in, involved, um, as part of that journey, wrestling probably about, I don't know, eight years ago now, sitting there thinking when Allgate was booming and, and full and thinking, should we plant or should we not plant? And I had voices in one ear saying, uh, let's do it, we should plant. And I had some voices in the other ear saying, what's happening at Allgate is great, don't blow it up by risking it by doing something like that. But I think that um, as, as we listen to hear God's voice as leaders, as elders, and we, we took a step of what we felt was a step of faith and obedience, it's amazing how God honours that uh, when you do that. And we saw this wonderful thing happen at uh, Little Hampton to start with and then moved to Verdun and, and then out of that came Lobethal, and some of you here were crazy enough to be part of both of those things. Um, but the Lobethal thing was really interesting because uh, as a senior pastor, once we'd established uh, Little Hampton, which became Verdun, um, I was thinking Strath, and that's kind of where we were intending to go. Um, but it was kind of like in the Bible when there's the man from Macedonia uh, who, who calls out in a dream to uh, Paul and says, no, was it Paul or Peter? I can't remember. And says, come over here. You know, this is where, hey, come over and join us here. Uh, this is where, um, where you're meant to be. And so there was not the man from Macedonia, but there was the men and women from Lobethal. And they were saying, hey, God's doing something here. We, we would love to see the next church plant happen here. And we discovered that we weren't starting something. We we're actually joining in with something that was already happening. There was people praying. There was people worshipping. There was people hopeful that God would plant something new here in this township. And so that is why it is so exciting to be here this morning sharing the Word of God with you. Let me just get this sorted. Um, so it is, it is a privilege uh, to preach the Word of God. It's a privilege. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in um, Romans 1, verse 6, uh, chapter 16, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And I'll kind of share a little bit, I'm preaching from Corinthians, but really what I preached is in line with that, uh, those words of Paul in Corinthians. Uh, in Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. So I want to talk about the paradox of the gospel. And uh, uh, let me read for you from 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 18 to, I think, 26. It might be on the screen. I'm not sure about that. If not, grab your Bible. What is? Okay. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? 
Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let me pray and we'll get into this word. Heavenly Father, I want to pray that you would speak this morning through your living word, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you are here and present with us this morning. We're not simply talking about you, God. We are actually in your presence and you are with us and you want to speak to us. And I pray for every single person in this room this morning that each of us would hear what it is you have for us, what it is you want to say to us this morning, that it might be for our benefit, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if anyone saw that, but while I was praying that whole thing, I just about lost that. So, brilliant. Um, Okay. So, I'm talking about paradox. What on earth is a paradox? A paradox is a seemingly absurd, thank you, Simon, or contradictory statement or proposition, which when investigated may prove to be well-founded or true. Okay. Did you catch that? A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but the teaching of Jesus is full of paradoxes. Jesus often preached in paradoxes. Jesus says, he who loses his life will, will what? Will gain it, will find it. The way, to, the way to find your life or to gain life is to lose life. There's a paradox. Anyone else? Scholars, theologians out there want to give me a paradox that you can think of from the Gospels. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. But the way to be first is to be last and the, if you end up trying to be first, you end up being last. Yes? The righteous should die for the unrighteous. Uh, yes. And um, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who are weep goes on to say, blessed are you when people persecute you. Rejoice in that day when you're getting persecuted. That's the time to rejoice. It sounds absurd. It sounds contradictory, but actually it proves to be true. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is laying out for us yet another paradox. And here's the paradox. That we are called to take the gospel out into the world. And as we do, we are told this in verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We're given a message to take out, and the message that we are given is foolishness to those who are perishing. And yet this very same message that's going to be received as foolishness is also the power of God. It's also the power of God, the same message. 
And this morning, I want us to kind of wrestle and grapple with this paradox of what we are called to take out into the world and to live out in our lives, that it is at the same time foolishness to some, yet the power of God that saves. It's the power of God that saves. Paul goes on to say in verse 22 and verse 23, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block. This message we've got is a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Gentiles. But, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, before we get to the second half, I want to kind of focus a little bit on the first half, on the fact of the foolishness of the gospel, before I talk about the power of the gospel. When the gospel went out, when Paul is taking this message out, and he's speaking here to the Corinthians, who are challenged by the fact that they're living in a very corrupt city, a very a city known for its, uh, its kind of sexual immorality and its wild living, and the Corinthians are kind of being challenged about, hey, are you actually willing to stand out for being a Christian and being different? Or are you going to fit in with the way of the world? That's the question they're being challenged with. Are you, are you going to uh, believe that this gospel and that the way of Christ is the way to life? Or are you going to accept the wisdom of the world? And Paul makes this comment. He says, Jews demand signs. What they wanted to see was signs. And Jesus went back to his hometown and they said, you know, show us a sign, show us a sign. And Jesus' reply was, it's a wicked generation that asked for a sign. They wanted signs, but they didn't want Jesus himself. And what did the Gentiles want? Well, the Gentiles wanted um, uh, brilliant rhetorical arguments. They wanted Paul to go there and be a great orator. We know that, uh, if you know the story, when Paul went to Athens, he went and met with these people and it said, All day they spent uh, all their time just discussing the latest philosophies. They love to philosophies and arguments and and reasons. And then Paul comes along and they're like, "Uh, give us a lovely, beautiful, reasoned argument. He says, my message is Christ crucified. It's a man hanging on a cross. That's my message. And that in that death, in his death, is found salvation because he is bearing the sin of the world in his body. His blood is being shed for you. And if you trust in him, you will receive eternal life. And they go, what sort of argument is that? Well, we'd we'd rather wisdom. And for the Jews, this message that the saviour of the world saved the world in dying on a cross was something that was incredibly challenging for them. Like, we look at the cross. I was preaching at a church recently, and uh, they just renovated an old building. It was a revitalization at, uh, of the Mitchum Baptist Church, and they'd renovated the building, and they'd installed a new cross, and I was talking to the pastor, and I said, That's, I really like that cross. That's a beautiful cross. And then I thought to myself, how weird is that statement that that is a beautiful cross? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's an instrument of torture and death. And not only that, like, we, we, we know that it was an t- instrument of torture and death, but for the people who heard the gospel and heard the message of the cross, it wasn't just theory. They had seen people crucified. They had seen bodies hanging on a cross. 
And now they're being told that someone who was crucified in the crucifixion, the message of the cross is that salvation comes through his death. And not only that, but having been killed and buried, that he rose to life and was alive. Can you see how challenging that message is to people back then? Well, what about us today? Well, have a look at verse 19. It says this, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. It's kind of a little bit of a tongue twister. Uh, Paul here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 29. And um, he's capturing the spirit of his age. And he's quoting Isaiah from 700 years ago, capturing the spirit of that age. And I would say he also describes the spirit of this age. Now in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 29, if you go on two verses further, verse 16, it says this. It says, uh, Isaiah talking to the people of his day. It says, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. Can the potter, can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing, right? Paul is quoting Isaiah back in Isaiah's day. Isaiah says the spirit of the day is that the people are like, are like pots who have been created by God, but are saying to God, you know nothing. It's like the pot telling the potter, you didn't make me. And, and then Paul quotes it in his day saying, well, this is kind of what you guys are like today. This is the spirit of the age. And I would say it's very much the spirit of the age that we experience right now today. That people kind of look to God and say, hey, God, who do you think you are? You don't even exist. Or if you do exist, you better shape up to how we expect you to behave. Because we will judge you and we'll decide whether we think you're acceptable to us. And the way you can be acceptable to us, God, is by doing exactly what we tell you to do and giving us everything we want. And when you don't, then we're not happy. And we'll, we will decide uh, moral standards. We will decide how life should be. And then, God, you just need to bless that and fit in with that. What right do you have to suggest to us that we should submit to your way? Right? Is that the spirit of our age? I think so. I think so. And that was the spirit of the time in Paul's time. And the Corinthians were tempted to reject this message of the cross because, by the way, the, the, the story we have is not that we say, hey, the, the morality that we have is better than the morality of the world. It's the message of the cross that we have that we need to proclaim. And, and, and the Corinthians were tempted to forget the message of the cross and fit in with the world because they didn't want to look foolish. Who wants to look foolish? We all want to fit in. We all want to look cool in this world. Most of us don't want to look like fools. Most of us don't want to stand out. And that was the temptation for the Corinthians. It's exactly the same for the Christians today. When I think about what's happening in the world, I'm going to tell a story. And maybe I don't know if I've told you this story. I have preached to some of you before. But here's my story, and I'll tell you how it fits in. So a couple of years ago, I was actually driving to a youth camp, and I was going through Birdwood. And I stopped in to get lunch, to get a pie and uh, at the Birdwood Bakery. And I looked up at the pie varieties there, and they had quite a range. And I'm normally uh, steak and onion, steak and mushroom, maybe a potato pie. Any other particular pie choices that we have here? Someone? Mushroom? 
No one else eats pies here. You're the least pie-loving congregation I've ever preached to. Kelly Pie, thank you, Charlton. Anyone else? Cheese and bacon, that's always good. Awesome. Lamb and rosemary, that's getting exotic. All right. So I'm looking at these pie varieties, I look up and I see something I've never seen before. A tuna pie. A tuna pie. And I thought, what? what is a tuna pie? And then I thought, you know what? I should just get it. I should just, I should just take a step. And I grabbed, I, I did, I bought the tuna pie. This is a true story. And I bit into it and I thought, this is pretty good. This is, this is, this is life-changing. I've discovered something amazing here. And, and this is really good. And so then I went home and I said, hey, you wouldn't believe what happened. I had this, I had this amazing experience. I, I encountered the tuna pie and it was delicious. And, and next time you should, you should try it out. My family were like, we're not, that's ridiculous. We're not having that. And we went to get a pie uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, pies for lunch. I said to my, uh, you know, you should try a tuna pie. They said, we're not doing that. My son said to me, my eldest son, he said, dad, that's un-Australian. That's un-Australian. You're not being Aussie, amen. <laughs> and, so, um, and, and so, do you know what I did? I just decided, I'm going to keep this to myself. People think I'm a fool. Easier if I just, you know, maybe I'll form the Tuna Pie Society. Uh, tuna Pie Lover Society. I'll hang out with the other Tuna Pie Lover Society. We can have a little meeting. When we all get together, we'll break out the Tuna Pies. We'll talk about how good they are. But then when we go out of the building, we'll just keep it to ourselves. I don't know if you can see the parable here, the parable of the pie. This is what most Christians are doing as we live out our faith. It's what most of us do as we live out our faith. In today's culture, in, the way, in, in this culture of, of, of the world that is, that is kind of uh, uh, the, the, the wisdom of the world is, is different than the wisdom of Christ and we've chosen to come and celebrate Jesus when we're together. But when we go out into the world, we choose because of the foolishness of the gospel to keep it to ourselves. And that's the reality. And I think we are all, myself included, tempted to think it is simply easier to live that way. In fact, the, our world today says, please live that way. Right? That is, if you want to get together and talk about the gospel, feel free. But just don't take the message of the cross out into the world. And many of us have said, okay, that's a very neat way to live out our lives as Christians. We will do that. We may not have said that like overtly, but in the reality, the practical reality of how we live out our lives and faith, that is what we do. I will seek to be caring people. Because you don't have to, it's not, no one's going to get upset if you're caring. We'll seek to be loving people, uh, but we won't actually talk about Jesus. So, it's sounding like a really um, uh, negative message right now, right? Yep, okay. So, uh, we're not talking about our faith and the gospel's foolishness. But, of course, that's not the end of the story. The second half of verse 18, let me go back to that. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 22, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, 
but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is from day one of the church that as people took this foolish message out into the world, which the world said, you know, what a foolish message as they began to share the message of the cross from day one. It's the message of the cross that saw people turn to Jesus and receive grace and receive forgiveness and have their lives transformed. This message seems foolish, but this foolish, hard-to-grasp message about a Saviour dying on a cross and bearing sin is indeed the power of God. It is through this, the foolish proclamation of this very message that God saves and redeems the lost. It's through this message that He heals the broken. It's through this message that He brings people back into relationship with Himself. Through this message that He gives people genuine and lasting peace and hope and joy. And any church that is willing to proclaim the message of the cross is going to see fruitfulness. And any church that gets away from the message of the cross is just going to see, I don't know what, maybe a happy little conglomerate of people who come together without the power of God. And this is why Paul is so emphatic in his declaration. But we preach Christ crucified. And let me be really clear, when he says that, he doesn't mean we on Sunday for 30 minutes preach Christ, preach Christ crucified. That is not what he's saying. He's saying we, the church, live out this gospel and share this gospel in the world. Something everyone is part of. And so the question I've got to ask you is which side of this paradox, the foolishness of God or the power of God, which side of this, para, of this paradox is more influencing how you live out your faith? Which side of this paradox is really profoundly, profoundly affecting your daily life? That's a fair question, isn't it? I think it is. Here's the good news. Let me tell you something really exciting. Because in my role, I get to go and visit churches all over the place. Last week, I was preaching at Darwin Baptist Church. I preached in shorts. Glad I didn't do that today. I preach at big churches uh, with 500 people. I preach in tiny little churches with 12 people. Every single church I have gone to this year, every Baptist church I've gone to across South Australia and into the Northern Territory, every single one has told me at least one person, uh, this story, a story that, where, where at least one person has come into their church from a totally non-Christian background, has literally walked in and come to know Jesus off the street. Not from invitation, from God stirring something in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. I preached at a church I won't name it, a church that had gone through a lot of challenges, lots of conflict, had got down to 30 people, had no worship team at all, right? They got a, a fairly new pastor, he comes in, there's not one person on the band, they're playing music, there's 30 mostly elderly people in the church. You think, what hope is there for that church? Well, there's hope if you're going to preach the message of the cross. And uh, one day the pastor's there and this guy wanders in uh, midweek, and says, oh, could I come to church on Sunday? And he's like, yes. The guy says, uh, well, I've, I've become a Christian on the internet. 
It's like dating through the internet. People do everything on the internet these days. They go search for all sorts of information. This guy got interested in Christianity. He started searching it. He told me his story. He said, I'm just searching. I'm reading. I started listening to sermons. I started reading the Bible. And then he goes, I reached this conclusion. He said simply, he said, I reached the conclusion. This is, it's all true. It's true. So he says to his mate, who's also never been to church in his life, this guy's now a Christian, still hasn't ever been to church, ever. He says to his mate, come to church with me on Sunday. I'm going to go to church. His mate says yes. They come into the church, start attending weekly. His mate becomes a Christian. Uh, In the same church, about a month later, a a Persian couple from uh, Iran start coming. They come along and they say, we want to find out about Jesus. They become Christians. And then uh, a whole bunch of uh, crew from a Chinese congregation join in with their church and a bunch of them become Christians. And earlier this year, in January, they baptized eight brand new believers. Eight. I preached the other week at a little church, Semaphore Park, which we're seeking to revitalize. It had about uh, 13 people there when I preached. But then uh, while I was preaching, uh, a young couple um, walked in, sort of just at the start of the sermon, about half an hour into church. And um, they, they stood out a little bit because they're quite a lot younger than the rest of the congregation. And I could tell he, like, he had a few tats up the arm and stuff like that, which obviously lots of people have tats these days. Not me because I'm a bit too conservative. But um, anyway, um, they did stand out. And uh, I went up to them afterwards and I said, oh, so what brings you here? Is this your church? And he said, yeah, I come when I can. I work hospitality, so I'm often not able to come. But we do come here when we can. I said, okay, so how did you come to be at church? This is a guy who'd had no church background. He told me a story about how he'd been hospitalized, got very, very sick, thought he was going to die, um, found out that he was going to need to take medication for the rest of his life, every day for the rest of his life, for his condition and um, he said when the doctors left and nurses and when his family went home he lay there and he began to think I'm going to die and he began to have a panic attack and just began to just absolutely be freaked out and then while he's lying there and suddenly he hears a voice which says fear not God has got you And then he feels this overwhelming peace and warmth flood his entire body. And he feels the greatest peace he's ever experienced in his entire life. And he's got no idea what that means. And for a year, that experience just stays with him. And he doesn't really know what to do about it. And eventually, he thinks, I should probably go to church. And uh, there's this little church around the corner from me. So he walks into the Semaphore Park Baptist Church with 12 mostly elderly people there. And he meets with the retired pastor who's still uh, serving that church and he becomes a Christian. And his girlfriend becomes a Christian. And, uh, and then just re- more recently, uh, another young adult came in, also became a Christian. And three weeks ago, they baptized those three young adults. Pastor's like, oh yeah, we just baptized three young adults today. I'm like, how good is that? And it's, 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 here's another paradox Um, Because what we're seeing is we're seeing people coming into churches interested, wanting to find out more. Do you know that when they do surveys, they say that if a trusted friend invites uh, invites you to, if someone is invited by a trusted friend to church, one third of non-Christian people will say yes to that invitation. If it's younger generations, Gen Gen X, Gen Z, whatever it is, it's up to 50% would say yes to that. 
You see, there's a narrative out there in the world that the Christians have come to believe that no one is interested in Christianity, that no one is seeking, that no one is open. We've actually come to believe this narrative that actually people are only interested in like Eastern religions, that they're spiritually seeking and they're seeking Eastern religions, but not Christianity. Do you know what? It is not true. People are spiritually seeking and they're open to anything and they are actually open to the gospel. And they are actually researching and seeking things out. And we are seeing story after story. Yet there is a paradox that at the very moment the nation seems to have this new openness to the gospel, Christians have largely become silent. So there's the challenge that I put before you. I always felt like messages about sharing your faith felt like a burden. Like you've got to go and do something. Do you know the only thing we've got to do is go and join God in what he is already doing? The Spirit is at work in the world. The Spirit is drawing people to himself. And actually, we are given a a privilege uh, invitation to join in with what God is doing. It's actually an incredible blessing. There's almost nothing better in this life than to be part of the journey of seeing someone come to know Jesus for the first time. God invites us into that. What does that mean? Let me kind of finish this off. What does that mean practically? It doesn't mean that at the bus stop tomorrow morning or when you arrive at work, you need to see five people converted by lunchtime. It doesn't. But what it means is as you go about your daily life, live out the love of Jesus and be listening spiritually to what God is calling you to, who God might be leading to you. Because God puts in front of us people who are open. And if we're discerning and listening, and then, and then we just need to take a step of obedience, a step of faith. And you might not have to preach the whole gospel to them. You might just get a little chance to say something. Let me finish with a little story. I was going through the checkout a couple of months ago at, uh, at uh, where I, Foodland, where I do my groceries. And... Um, I was talking to the girl and she said, oh, um, what do you do? She said, what have you got today off for? I said, oh, it's because I'm a pastor and I, um, I, I work on Sundays, so I've got Fridays off sometime. And she said, oh, she said, well, I wouldn't know much about that because I'm an atheist. And I thought, ooh, atheist, scary. She must now hate me or hate God. I said, oh, so, okay, that's interesting. I said, does that mean you're quite sort of, she said, I'm an atheist. My whole family are atheists. I thought, wow. I said to her, so you're sort of quite against, you know, church and, and God and stuff. And she said, oh, no, not really. And she said, oh, actually, I think that there's, I really do think there's something out there. I said, and I said to her, I think you're an agnostic, not an atheist. Well, that really helped her. <laughs> she said, I really don't know what those two words mean. I said, well, actually, an atheist is someone who is absolutely convinced there is no God. But an agnostic is a, is a name for someone who's still basically trying to figure it out. They're not convinced there is a God, but they're also not convinced there isn't a God. And then she says to me, like, I'm not making this up. She says, well, I'd actually be really interested to find out more. I just don't have anyone to tell me. I've never had anyone to explain it to me. And I had about one minute left before the last bag was packed on the 
on the of the grocery bags. So what do you say in that time? Well, I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell some amazing story about how we got down on our knees and we prayed and <laughs> we made everyone wait while, while she came to faith. No, I just simply said, I said, well, there's actually lots of churches in the hills uh, that are really good that could help you with that. And the church I go to is called Hills. You could check out the website or, or go along on a Sunday. Just maybe look up some information and, and that'd be a great starting point. And she sort of said, oh, okay. She wasn't saying, yes, I'll definitely do that. But I just left it there. I haven't seen her since then. God will put people in front of you probably this week. Maybe one person. Maybe just to have one little word that you speak. One little action that you take. Maybe it is this week about letting people know that you're actually a Christian. It's amazing how many Christians work in a workplace where no one actually knows they're a Christian. When someone, the easiest way to do that is not to put up a sign that says, I am a Christian. It's actually when someone says, what did you do on the weekend? You say, I watched the footy, it was terrible, and uh, I went to church on Sunday morning. And they'll be like, ooh, they'll register that. All right, I'm preaching too long. So let me say this. God, uh, Paul goes on to say this whole thing about how God chose ordinary people. And I don't know, but we're all ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He will use you. He will use me. He uses all of us in some way when we are faithful. Which side of the paradox is shaping how you live out your faith? The foolishness of the, of the, foolishness of the message or the power of God? May you trust that the message of the cross is the power of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this incredible, bold statement that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians as he seeks to speak into the lives of the Corinthians. May we take out of this message this morning what you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.